This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go, hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. The A's have unbelievable travel. He'll be traveling the country with the Oakland Athletics. Last time we saw you was down at spring training. It's been a while. How are you? I'm great, man. Uh, super excited to be up here, and uh, it's been uh, it's been awesome so far. So, uh, yeah, it's going good. Now, you think when we were down at Ho-Ho Cam and you joined us on the show, we were talking about what that day was going to be like. And you had your thoughts then. You've now lived it with the family, and we've seen your family. So we just had your dad on the show, uh, seeing your family on, on, on television. And just, did, did it live up to everything you thought it would be? Yeah, 100%. Uh, obviously, as a kid, lifelong dream is to get to the big leagues. Um, so it's pretty surreal still, still kind of settling in. Uh, it's still kind of in that, I guess, honeymoon phase, I guess. It's still kind of wearing off. Uh, but, uh, yeah, man, it's it's been everything. I could have ever dreamed of. Uh, so I'm having fun and uh, just it's going well. Now, your dad said you were acting like a cool customer. What was it now that it's over? What was it like when all of a sudden it's like, I'm here. Here's yeah. my first at bat, first game. Yeah. It's, what was the heart rate like? What, how did, what, what was it? What was going through your mind? Uh, everything was pretty fast. Uh, everything was just. Swing felt fast. Everything just kind of felt quick. Uh, but, you know, I've kind of seen in my at-bats, you know, it's just got to learn to slow it down. Uh, so just kind of trying to slow it down. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been going good. But, yeah, I mean, like my dad said, it was, it was a pretty cool moment. So I got to share it with my family, and uh, it was good. How nice was it to play the different positions? Because, yes, DH is a position. you got to figure out how to keep yourself occupied in between at-bats. you got to play first. You've got to play catcher. How nice was it early now to kind of do it all right out of the gate to prepare you here for the second half? Yeah, it's nice to get it all, uh, do it all. Uh, DH is hard, like you said, you know, and just – 
you have one job and it's to hit. So you don't really know what to do in the dugout, uh, whether that's you kind of got to learn how to stay warm and get ready for your next at bat. I like to be able to go out and defense and kind of focus on two things. So, uh, But, yeah, man, it's been good. I uh, got to catch. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, first was really cool, too. So, uh, yeah, it's been good and uh, just ready to keep going. Yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great point, and it's something that I've talked about for years. I hate when people just say, oh, just DH him. You're like, no, 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 that's yeah. that's not yeah. how that works. The, DHing is an art form because if a game is, let's say, well, they used to be over three hours, you're participating in only like two minutes yeah. of three yeah. hours. So what do you do? Do you go hit? Some guys ride a bike. Some guys watch video. I know guys who have taken showers yeah. in between yeah. at-bats and chains. So it's like you got to do something. And I know you've done a little bit in the minor leagues. but And as you mentioned, in Oakland, it can be cold. How do you yeah. stay warm yeah. the whole time? Have you thought about kind of like a strategy or a routine, what you're going to do in between these at-bats? Uh, Not really. I still need to work on it a little bit. It's definitely, like you said, man, it's not easy um, to just kind of – we're only I'm only in there for like you said about two three minutes of the game so I got to kind of get a routine uh I've just been kind of hanging out in the dugout the times I've been doing it but uh probably should get up there and maybe ride the bike or go take some swings in the cage for sure but uh I think it's something I'll get better at for sure and uh just kind of as you know get more games under my belt and uh keep going with it, it'll get easier how cool is it to come up with Zach like you're coming up with your buddy the two of you got to experience it together yeah, that was awesome. Uh, we were at home, both home for the All-Star break, so we didn't really uh, know that we got the call on the same day. Uh, when I got the call, I kind of had suspicion that Zach did because he's been playing so well. Uh, so I just sent him a little Snapchat just of my face just to kind of get a read on him. Uh, and then he uh, sent me one back and was all excited. So I gave him a gave him a little FaceTime call. We kind of shared a little moment. Uh, but, yeah, man, it's, it's awesome to get to uh, – spend this opportunity with Zach up here and kind of get our feet wet together. And uh, hopefully uh, we kind of have a lot more games to do it with each other for sure. How much does it mean to you? And then how about the guys that are still down there that they saw that you guys earned it? This isn't about where you were drafted. This isn't I mean You guys played your asses off and you earned this moment. How much does that mean to you, and how much do you think that means to the guys that are still down there that they can look at and say, hey, if Tyler and Zach can do it, we can do it too? Yeah, it means a lot. Uh, you know, I've been we work really hard day in and day out. Um, that's We were down AAA, and we everyone knows what's going on up here. There's a lot of opportunity right now. Uh, so uh, we were down there working hard, trying to get up here as fast as we could, and uh, we got the opportunity. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of other talented players down there that – could uh, begin the opportunity soon so yeah I think it's definitely motivating for them and uh, it's going to be fun uh, next couple years. Was it easier from you from a catching standpoint to catch people that you've already caught in Vegas? Yeah I mean it's definitely nice to have that familiarity um, with the pitchers. I got to pit, catch most of these guys in spring training too so there's a little bit yeah. of we kind of have a little bit of familiarity there too so uh, it's always nice to be able to have caught some before and uh, kind of have that relationship. Have they given you any indication what you probably will do most defensively when you play? I think I'm going to be doing it a little bit of everything. You know, I'm going to I'm going to catch. Um, I'm going to play first, and then it'll be the DH too. So uh, just trying to get my way in the lineup any way I can and do anything I can to help this team win. So when you come up now that you've gotten your feet wet a little bit. 
have you kind of set goals for yourself? What you want to accomplish? What what you expect of yourself here in the next few weeks, if not the next few months? Uh, not really. I haven't really set too many goals yet. Uh, still just trying to get the hang of it and uh, kind of just kind of settle in. Uh, I kind of want to just settle in first and kind of get going, get on a little groove. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking for now. Um, but uh, no goals have been set yet, but uh, just trying to go out there every day and just being consistent, be as consistent as I can be. Now we talked about the check swing as the first hit, and it was like, man, nobody cares. You just want to get your first hit. It looks like a line drive in the book. Yep. Tell us about yep. the first hit. Yeah, man, it's uh, I didn't really realize how much pressure like was on like on you coming up, you know, like trying to get your first big league knock. Uh, but that's definitely not how I drew it up in my head as a kid. Uh, but, uh, you know, they all count. And uh, it was a pretty cool moment. And then I got to back it up with a pretty solid hit after that. So that was a good feeling yeah. for sure. Now, everybody has a big league moment and there's a lot of different ways you can have it where you just go, wow. I'm here. Yeah. I'm in the big leagues. What was that one thing, whether it was in the clubhouse, on the field, meeting somebody, seeing somebody, facing somebody, what was that one, what was the big league moment where you just went, I've made it. I'm here. Yeah, it's got to be uh, running out to go catch for the first time in Carlos Correa, stepping in the box. Um, I mean, that was pretty surreal to me just to kind of see him face-to-face. -face. You know, you watch him on TV win a World Series and stuff like that, and then you see him face-to-face -face in the box and wishes you a healthy season and career, and it was just a pretty surreal moment for me there right there. Oh, so he said that to you? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Because it is, it's like, you know, you've been watching all these guys for years, and now all of a sudden yep. they're not on TV anymore, yep. and for a lot of you guys, they're not on the video game anymore. Nope. They're real people, yep. and you're now competing against them on a nightly basis. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy just to see him face-to-face, -face, and like you said, I mean, playing video games, and he's been the face of the Astros, too, for a while, so it was pretty cool to see him in person. Well, I, I can tell you that everybody is so – they're so hyped to have you here. We, you know, we've been, you know, we talked to you down there at spring training. We've been watching all the numbers in Vegas and watching the highlights. And we know you're going to be a big part of this organization for a long time. You're going to be a big part of this show for a long time. So congratulations for you, your family. Uh, and it's great having your dad on too. And just going through this whole experience with your family. Just uh, enjoy the ride, my friend. And we'll talk to you a lot right here on Ace Cast Live. We'll do, man. Sounds good. Nice talking with you. Tyler Soderstrom, the number one prospect for the Oakland Athletics. Well, Zach Geloff is a player we've been waiting to get on here on A's Cast Live, and we finally have him on. Finally get to meet him. We wanted to have him on at spring training. And we were thinking about it. We haven't been able to have you on the show. I had you on NBC. I was that TV guy talking to you the other day. Here, put this down. We had you on the uh, postgame show the other day. We finally get to meet you here on A's Cast. This is our flagship channel station youtube you see us on youtube facebook twitter also people can listen streaming for all the a's fans we've been waiting to have you on it's great to finally have you yeah i'm excited to be here uh you know i've, I've seen plenty of you on on a's cast and the videos and stuff so really appreciate what you do and uh, excited to be here so you're here you're finally here yep what has it been like uh it's been a whirlwind especially the first few days with my family and uh Things were moving fast. I was getting texts left and right, and um, I finally got a chance to respond to all those guys. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a lot, and it's obviously pretty difficult, but it's been a blast. I, I love playing this game, and, um, you know, I'm trying to be the best I can be. 
I so hope your family is going to get the recordings of the game because we had cameras all over your mom and dad, and they were going nuts. Uh, That's priceless stuff. Priceless. Did you get to see any of that? Yeah, I did. It was it was part of the uh, one of the highlights like, of my first hit. Um, but yeah, I feel like whenever someone texts me, they're like, I, I, "We can't stop seeing your parents and family <laughs> on there because everything I do, it's yeah. like, here's the family. They the second day they had the uh, custom Geloff jerseys already, yeah. so they didn't uh, they didn't skip a beat. But uh, you know, it's it's awesome, and it's just a testament to them because. You know, I wouldn't be here without my family, so it was, it was just awesome to be a part of. I always like to ask, there's that moment where you get here and you're, I, I, I don't know, if you're walking in, it's maybe playing against a certain guy or it's in the clubhouse or there's that moment where you just go, I'm in the big leagues. Like something hits you where you, I, what was that moment? Uh, first game, first pitch, the top of the first, Correa hits a, ball to right field for a stand-up double and he gets on base and I'm like all right welcome to it like here we go um you know but other than that it's just kind of like you play like MLB the show and you yes. get in the box and you're facing guys like especially last night yeah. against uh their closer it felt like I was in a video game but uh you know you just gotta know that you know these are my peers too like I'm I'm here they have to pitch against me um so just trying to think that way as well this is fascinating because Soderstrom said the same thing it was like He's catching, and there's Correa. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the, you've been watching these guys on television, and now you're playing against them. It's so cool. Yeah, it's awesome, especially Correa. I mean, uh, the, he's been in the playoffs countless times, coming through in big spots. So, uh, um, yeah, that was that was pretty surreal. But now it's kind of, you know, it should be an, an everyday thing of, like, these are these are my peers now. And maybe in a few years, like, someone looks at me and, and is like, oh, this, that, that's my welcome to the show moment. So so we got to see you. We came down to San Jose when you were with the Ports to play the San Jose Giants, and you were a third baseman. Yep. What is that transition from third to second been like for you? Um, it was pretty difficult at first, but honestly I feel like with my skill set, I think it actually helps being over there because I can use my athleticism a little bit more going left to right. Uh, and turning double plays and kind of feel like it brings out that shortstop in me back from high school. Um, so I've been loving it so far, and uh, hopefully I can keep it up. I think about being fearless in the big leagues. A lot of you guys, you come up ready to play. You not only steal second base, to hell with it, I'm stealing third. I mean, yeah. most guys, you steal your first base, you stole your second. Just talk about that mentality of you're coming up here to get yours. Yeah, I mean – I don't even look back. I don't even know if I got the green light or not, but I got. I had him. T- I think I did. I'm not really sure. It was my first day. The signs are relatively the same, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I had him timed up pretty good, and um, it was first and second. I believe it was one out. Um, so you know, even if I get thrown out, it's like it's not the worst case. We still have a guy in scoring position, but I truly felt like I could get it, and it was a, just a given. And obviously, I I slid, but they, there was no throw. Um, so if it's there, I'm gonna steal. I mean. I think that's something that I can bring to the team to, to help, and I think I ended up scoring. So um, if I can just, you know, do anything to help the team win, I'm going to do it. What's interesting is the adjustments that are already being made by the other teams against you because you had success. You hit the ball off the wall. You've had a triple and another, a couple doubles, right? So you've, saw, you've shown you can, you can hit it to all fields and everything. Are you starting to see the adjustments they're making against you? Yes, now the results haven't been coming recently but now just talking with uh guys other guys in the clubhouse as well as coaches and stuff like you see it and it's something i haven't really ever had to do i mean in the minor leagues you kind of look at the pitcher and then you go up there and just hit but now it's 
if you can't hit this certain pitch or or, or whatnot, they're going to keep going in that spot and that spot. And the execution from the big league pitchers is um, obviously really good because this is the best, um, you know, best baseball it gets. So. Yeah, I've always found, found that fascinating how once they know – they're going to wear you out until you prove you can't do it. Because when you're in the minor leagues, everybody's trying to get to the big leagues, right. and you're not concentrating as much on winning as you do up here and all the video work and the scouting reports and everything. Yep. That is the chess game. It's like you're going to have to make adjustments now, and hopefully you play for another 15 years. But 15 years from now, you're still going to be making adjustments. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the name of the game. You're never yeah. going to stop making adjustments. So, uh you know, it's something I, I'm going to, you know, try to do, see what they, they give me and just kind of try to keep adjusting. But, uh, you know, not necessarily worrying about, like, what they're trying to do, but also what I do well and kind of sticking to that until I have to ultimately battle with two strikes. How about the speed of the game? Have you noticed a difference? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit faster. I mean, you got the best athletes in the world playing this game. So, um, you know, there's that. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, the bases are still the same. It's just – you know, guys are uh, a little bit bigger, faster, stronger. and um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same game. So Let's end on this. Coming up with Tyler, you guys are good friends. It was the all-star break. You guys are like, hey, I'm going yeah. up. I'm going. What is it like to do this with your buddy to come up together? Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I think it takes the pressure off of each of us individually just because if I have a good day and he doesn't, it's like, all right, these guys are doing the right things. Um, but, you know, it's just been awesome to share that experience with him coming up. And now I think it's kind of geared towards now we want to win together in the big leagues and, and do everything we can to stay up here and stay up here for a long time. Well, I'll tell you what, these fans who are watching and listening, they've been following your career. I also do the post-game show. People and call, and I can't wait till he comes up. Can't. Everybody is so fired up that you're here. It, it, it's great. There's a great vibe right now, and congratulations. And to your family, too, I know what it means to them. Yep. And hopefully we're doing this for, like, another 15 years. Yeah, that's the goal. Just got to keep getting better every day and, and having fun doing it. So I look forward to it. Awesome stuff. It's great to meet you. Thank you. Well, I know the A's fan base is excited about this, and it's one of my favorite things that I do every single year at the A's for all these years I've been affiliated with the ball club is to watch the future and watch it show up, and we get to see it. And he's right there in front of you, Jacob Wilson, the number one pick this year for the Oakland Athletics. First of all, signing the contract today, I know it's something you've dreamt about your entire life. Congratulations. What an honor. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, it was a pretty special day for sure. Like you think about it, right? And you think about, well, it's high school. And, of course, your dad was a big leaguer, so you've been around it. But what was it like when you got that pin out and you're signing your name? And it's like, this is official, official. You're John Hancock is on the paper. Yeah, you know, it was definitely, it was amazing. It was, it was a dream come true for sure. This is the day I've been dreaming about since high school. So to be able to be here today and get those papers signed was pretty pretty amazing for me. And then you'd get to take batting practice. You're now, if you're signed, this is it. You're now a professional baseball player. What was it like? What was it, What was the heart rate like when you got into that cage and you were taking BP? Oh, the heartbeat was crazy. I think that... For stepping in for the first pitch, it was like, all right, this is this is real being out here with all these big leaguers and just all these awesome coaches I got to you know talk to for a little bit. It was definitely a it was a crazy moment for sure. Yeah, usually I'm out there. Unfortunately, I had to be in San Francisco do TV today. So, but how did it go? It was good. It was a good day for sure. It was super fun to be out here and just be able to take BP and ground balls on this field. It was pretty special. You know, you're. you're 
obviously the influence of your father. We all watched your father play. Uh, he's been your coach for a long, long time. Just talk about for the family what this day's like been, for, what it's been like for them. Yeah, you know, this, obviously dad got to do this for a pretty good amount of time. He came out here for 12 years and played Major League Baseball. So I think it was definitely it was, it was definitely cool to be able to flip-flop with him. And, you know, he was watching me take VP for the first time after I watched him take VP forever. So it was pretty cool for to see them there and have them support me throughout that entire VP session. So how much did you know about the Oakland A's before we drafted you? Yeah, I know. I knew a good amount. I, I was high school teammates with Max Muncy, who got drafted back in 2021. Um, we were both we were, we were the middle infield for our high school, so we, I had a great, great talks with him about the organization. He had nothing but good things to say. So it was a pretty, pretty fun talk to be able to talk and kind of relate to his situation. Yeah, you know, the one thing that we really understood when we saw your stats is, is we have lived so long now in this three true outcome era of home runs, strikeouts, and walks. And when we saw your strikeout total, it was like a breath of fresh air. So talk about your game to where bat-to-ball skills, you don't strike out, you make a lot of contact, you you hit the ball hard. Because, Jacob, we've been sitting in this world of all-or-nothing home runs. We've been waiting for someone like you. Yeah, for sure. I think that growing up, my dad was always – kind of really preaching to me to put the ball in play, work on those hand-eye coordination skills. And, uh, you know, going to college, being able to build a plan that worked for me, I felt like when we won the most games, when our team put the ball in play the most. So for me, it was really just choking up with two strikes and be able to put the ball in play, you know, make the defense work or even, you know, find a hole and get a knock just to kind of get a rally started for your team. So for me, it's always been really just kind of fight away, fight off the best pitches that, that the guy has and wait till he makes a mistake so I can, you know, punish it and, uh, you know, help, hopefully start a rally for my team. Yeah, you have to be very proud of what you did in college because going back to when I played college baseball, Grand Canyon was like an independent. They weren't in a league. A lot of people, Grand Canyon, I, I want it's in Phoenix, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, a lot of people really don't know much about Grand Canyon, but all of a sudden you guys have become somewhat of a baseball power and you're part of that generation that changed that for your school. How much does that mean to you? Oh, yeah, it meant, it meant everything to me. We came in with a good good recruiting class back in the class that graduated in 2020. We came in, we, we wanted to make a change. We wanted to, you know, be good. And all these guys, they came to work every day. And, uh, you know, we just kept get, kept getting better as a squad. And then, obviously, we got to go to two regionals, you know, won the WAC all three years. So I think that mm-hmm. that recruiting class really came in and decided that they wanted to make a change. So it was really special to be a part of that group and be able to share the field with those guys. You know, when you think about going through the process and your dad's coached you for so many years, high school, college, and everything, how how much will you still rely on him now that you'll get into the pro game? Yeah, I think that going into the program, getting into the program is kind of something for me I really want to, you know, kind of be able to learn things for myself, being able to see things that, you know, he sees that I haven't been able to learn yet. I think that for me, I can always go and rely on him if I ever have any questions, but this is something where I'm really focused on, you know, being able to make changes for myself and be able to see things that I can do pretty much trying to be my own player but at the end of the day I do have him there 24-7 I can call him whenever I need him and I know that he'll be there for me yeah you know back in the day you got drafted in June you'd sign and then you'd have a decent amount of games now with the way we have designed it to be a part of the all-star break you don't get as much time of a minor league system so you've now signed what have they told you where are you going to start yeah, I think I'm going to go to Arizona on Wednesday. Kind of have a mini draft workout for all the guys who got drafted, and kind of get into that Arizona league a little bit, the complex league, and get some live at bats. I haven't played uh, a game in too long just because when we got eliminated, um, 
haven't had too many opportunities to uh, play a couple of games. So I think we're just going to go there, get some live at-bats, and just really get back in the swing of things and getting back into being in, in game form. So I think once that happens, we'll, we'll see where they send me. But I'm definitely looking forward to starting it for sure. And look how easy that is for you. All these other guys, they got to come out of nowhere and they got to go to Arizona. It's hot. You're like, you kidding me? That's old hat for you. That's like your second home. Yeah, yeah. It's right down the road. Uh, we're moving out there now, so it's it's right next to where we're from. So it's pretty awesome to you know stay at home for sure. Well, congratulations. We're so happy for you. It, it, it's the day that you know you've dreamt about, and, and I know you're still at a very young age, and not everybody has all their dreams come true, and you got bigger dreams than just getting drafted. Obviously, you want to be here and help the athletics and hopefully win a World Series someday, but a special day to get drafted, where you got drafted, the money that you're getting, life has changed, and, it, and it's great for you. We're so happy for you. You know, we're going to be seeing you at spring training. We're going to be following your every move. We're going to be having you on this show all the time. But it's great to meet you. Congratulations. And enjoy enjoy the day with your family because before you know it, it's time to be a pro. And uh, hopefully we'll get you here soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you. Take care, Jacob. That's your first-round pick of your Oakland Athletics, Jacob Wilson. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of your all-time favorites as he's a two-time World Series champion. He's one of the great leaders in Oakland A's history from Petaluma. The great Johnny Gomes is with us once again. Of course, I'll be doing a little TV with Johnny later here, NBC Sports California. Johnny, how are you? Right on schedule, Townsy, right on schedule. You know, I got to think for you coming back and doing this, is something that's great as a guy that grew up an A's fan. You love playing here. I know what this fan base and this franchise meant to you. But then all of a sudden you retire, right? And things change in your life. What does it mean to come back and do TV and, and have the A's want you to be a part of this still? Yeah, well, so once the cleats got hung up, um, it was a uh, pretty easy decision. And it was kind of hit me in the face that baseball is all I know. I'm not cut out for the real world. I'm not cut out to go uh, do some real estate crap or, you know, some insurance or invest in that or climb the freaking crypto chain or the dot-com disc or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm a baseball rat, Townsy. Uh, can't play it anymore. I'm totally cool with that. Uh, but I love watching it. I love talking it. I love educating the youth. I love educating the fans. Uh, I love watching it. So uh, with that being said, it, it was a no-brainer uh, to come back home, right, and uh, yeah. talk some shop and watch the team that, you know, I, I, I grew up watching and that gave me the love for the game dating back to the late 80s, early 90s. And, and people need to realize that when you're talking about you don't want to be in the dot-coms and you're not going to be a Silicon Valley guy and you're not going to be a Bitcoin guy, you might be very thankful for that someday. Um, you're still in the game and you're still in a way still playing. Uh, you know, we, we know about the Savannah bananas, but I want you to talk about what, how you're growing the game and how you've been a part of this new style that hopefully we're going to see this coming year at, at the all-star game. It's a, it's a version of home run derby that you guys are doing not only here, but abroad. And it just seems like, and a lot of people, cause I had never heard of the concept. Uh, I know some people, whether it's YouTube, some people have been able to watch it, but you're bringing something new. It, it's like a way for you to stay in the game with still kind of playing. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's called the Home Run Derby X. Um, now there's two sides of it right now. One is like this virtual cage that we have. So it's just like a batting cage in this huge screen that's uh, behind the cage. And it's almost like gamified the uh, the data and the home run and the distance. And instead of the distance, it's a point scheme. Uh, and you can just basically drop this cage inside an existing venue anywhere. Uh, we were just in T-Square in the middle of London. Um, we're going to go to Mexico City. Last year, we did Seoul, South Korea. Um, you saw the NFL. You saw the NBA going global. Why is it going global? Because global players play in this game. Right. And to grow the game, I think it's really important to get more viewerships overseas. Um, how do you do that? You do that with exciting events. Right. Baseball to the uneducated new fan might be slow, might be too long. Uh, granted, these new rules have changed things, but uh, just hitting them right in the face with some home runs, some exciting, some fan engagement, some logo blast. Uh, super, super cool event. We're coming to Hartford, Connecticut and fredericksburg virginia the two ones in the states mexico city later this year but a home run derby x super super cool yeah the concept is unbelievable and it's kind of you know it's like x games how yeah. you know you looked at the olympic games and you create x games then i think about the savannah bananas and we we get to see all the hijinks and everything on twitter but some of it like some of it you go huh that's a pretty damn good idea. Like, like the fans can catch balls and it's an out. And that fan, it went viral when the fan caught the last out of the game. Now, I don't think that ever happens in Major League Baseball. But are there some things that you've noticed with the Savannah Bananas? And now that baseball is actually looking to get younger, cooler, hipper, is there something that you think goes, you know what, that possibly could translate? Well, I think there's two sides of it. So I think the Savannah Bananas is a genius idea and it's become a cult following and it's really, really exciting event. Uh, fan first, you know, is their first rule, fan first. I mean, if you want a ball, you want an autograph, you're getting it. You're getting exciting from the, the second you walk through the gate till the two hour time limit is up. I think the banana rule should stay with the bananas but I think there should be more banana ball, right? You look back and remember the big uh, and one push in the NBA, yeah. right? So do we want some of those rules to go to the NBA? No, but let's just get and one bigger, right? So I don't think people are going to uh, veer away from MLB to watch the Savannah Bananas. I think 100% you can watch both of them. And man, the, the, these guys are hotter than a pistol right now. And it, it's really, really cool to go. Uh, it's really, really cool to be a part of my son. My son wears a Savannah banana hat. Uh, and he gets asked no matter where we go, like, yeah. holy cow, where'd you get that hat? Like what you've been to a game tickets are so hard to get. They're like Taylor Swift tickets, man. They're, they're freaking so hard to get. It's, it's a really cool platform. Kind of reminds me of when we were growing up, the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Oh. They would show up to town, sell out arenas. They'd be there for a couple nights, and they'd move on. It was like a traveling road show where they'd kind of be like golf or NASCAR going from town to town, tennis. Uh, it's almost like something like – and maybe that's what the Savannah Bananas will be at some point. Uh, or if we have a Savannah Bananas in each major town. 
kind of yep. have like a league and expand on it. I love the idea. I mean, you know, it's about showing that baseball can be fun. Let's have yep. some humor. Let's have some yep. fun. Let's and some of the ideas are creative. I mean, really creative. Yeah, no, it's every bit Circus Olay. It's every bit of Vegas show. Um, and the concept of it, when you watch it, it's like, oh, it just flows really good. It was exciting. It's fun. But if you break it down, like it's really hard to find good baseball players that are also showmen. Um, so for them to have these tryouts, for them to have these players open up and get creative and do their TikToks and do all this trendy stuff. But also when the ball is in play, it's really good baseball, really clean baseball. So you're getting all the demographics and you're getting new demographics and new fans for the game. Yeah, I didn't think about that is you've got to be both. Yeah. You know, and that's why, well, that's why there's one Vegas, right? That's right. There's not that many people who can do We're talking about people who can play baseball at a high level and be full on legit entertainers. I yeah. can find you plenty of baseball players. I can fly, find you plenty of entertainers. Yeah. How many can do both? Yeah. I mean, these guys are, they, they really, you know, tip your hat to them. I mean, catching a big league pop-up, if you will, you know, catching a ball with a four and a half second of hang time, 290 feet away from home plate. We watch it every day. Might look easy, but this general, it's, it's tough to do that while doing a backflip. That's next level, man. That's freaking next level. And I want to watch that all day long. I can't do yeah. it, but I want to watch it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's outstanding. All right, back talking to the A's. I mean, you brought up a point last night. NBC Sports, California, A's pregame live. I thought it was great. And it goes back to your days, not as a Ray, but as a devil Ray, mm-hmm. where the A's at this point finally going younger, you know, the average age of the opening day lineup was almost 30. Now it's 25. You're going younger. You have this unbelievable opportunity to where no one's judging you on wins and losses. You're just being judged. Like, put up some numbers. And you talked about playing with your hair on fire. You got nothing to lose. Yeah. How do you install that as a guy that's been a leader in a clubhouse and a leader in the clubhouse here in Oakland? How do you install them in, in these guys? Cause they're young and obviously, you know, they're trying to figure out and it's kind of like, no, 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 no. Go out there and play to win attack. I want you to be in attack mode for nine innings. Yeah, man. Like I mentioned, it's like, I mean, playing blackjack or, you know, gambling with your own money, you know, it can be a nightmare at times. Um, but if someone was to hand you the money and was like, here you go, whatever you win, you get to keep, right? So you get to double down on stupid stuff. You get to hit on 18, 19 if you want. You can do whatever you want and because you're not losing your own money. So you get to play rambunctious. You get to do silly things. You get to challenge yourself. Take bigger leads, right? Try and steal third with two outs. Do stuff like uh, take take the leash off. Take the governor off. Like, O2 pitch, don't shoot it the other way. Freaking try and pull a homer. Who cares? You know, O2 pitch, throw a fastball right down the middle. Shock everybody. And you'll you'll find out with when you're playing with conviction and when you're playing loose, that's what superstars do. And it's really hard to get to that level. So even when you're in last place, you kind of get that ability to just cut it loose and go for it. It is so hard to explain that to people like, 
when you hear the stories about King Griffey Jr., yes, the bloodlines, the ability off the charts, but the way he approached it, where he approached baseball like it was a game. Mm-hmm. He didn't grind video. He didn't, I mean, he showed up and played. Now, obviously, the great ability to allow him to do that, but how many times did King Griffey Jr., because a lot of guys have great ability, great athletes, but they're, they're locked up inside here. Billy Bean was one of the great athletes coming out of his time. He was tall. He was fast. But he mentions, he mentions it all the time. I was a mental midget, right, yeah. where he was drafted. He and Daryl Strawberry were both first-round picks of the New York Mets. They both are about the same size. Both could run. Both, both could have power. But Daryl Strawberry just went out and played at a great time to where Billy Bean couldn't get out of this. They're almost the same guy, but one guy went on to have a great career. The other guy didn't. Well, wasn't because of athletic ability, just because what was here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just because you're playing with your hair on fire and you're letting it loose and you're going all stuff doesn't mean you're going to have like all this success. But w- what a great way to be able to play in the big leagues, you know, with stuff like that. And every single day when you're in that spoiler role or every single day that you're in last place is a job interview. It's 100% of a job interview because those are teams that first place teams are looking for because everyone on that roster is tradable, right? And there's a couple ways to play our game. One is to put up a lot of number, a lot of good numbers and get into October, put up a lot of good numbers to get paid. Or put up good numbers to get traded to a contender, right? So every single time you put that uniform on in last place, it's 100% a job interview. And you want to be wanted. What is the key to helping the young guys get comfortable so they can perform at their best, even though there's going to be failure? But for you as like the leader and you see these young guys, what is the key and what would you do with them? Yeah. So, I mean, failure is a huge part of our game. Our game is a results-driven industry built around failure. But you want your failure to happen with preparation, and you want your failure to fail with max ability, right? So you strike out. What happened right there? I was sitting on changeup, and he threw a fastball. That's preparation, right? Like you had a plan going to the plate. Like you should never be late on a fastball in last place. Ever. You should never not run hard to first base in last place. Like these are things that, you know, hustle should never get applauded in last place. It should be expected when you're in first place, right? You have the little injury prevention. You don't want to get hurt. October's in the near future. You're going to get some days off here and there, but man, every single day you show up to the yard, it's a job interview. Front row seat is the team you're playing against. And then the scouts behind, they're, those are the teams for the trade chips. Those are the most valuable guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like I want to plant you in there right now and uh, put you in uniform and let you help these young guys out because, you know, th- there's so much that goes on in baseball, whether we're talking on the field or even off the field. There's, there's a lot to teach guys. You know, you know, they may have been drafted and got a little cash, but now they're going to have things coming their way that they've never had before. There's there's pitfalls away from the stadium that young guys can follow into that older guys can help them stay out of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of the reasons why there's five levels underneath the big leagues. 
unlike any other sport, unlike any of the other three major sports in the U.S. with hockey, basketball, and football, you go college to the show, right? There's so much more to learn about being a pro, about being a big leaguer, about having a big league routine, about having a big league, um, you know, uh, approach. Uh, One of the hardest things to beat in the big leagues is your scouting report. So you have to be a really good self-evaluator, right? I'm a really good fan hitter so guess what you're not gonna see majority of the time right you got to be able to switch you hit a home run on a fastball probably not gonna see that again you have a really good series you have to go back and look how was i pitched not gonna get pitched that way the same way you know we we've talked and i and we're gonna do this later on tv we're gonna be talking about Shohei otani and the whole, everybody's like, is he going to get traded? Is he not going to get traded? What should he get traded for? He's just a rental. Where will he sign? It's a simple question right now. From the Angels' point of view, everybody else's point of view, obviously, if you bring Otani in, he helps you for your playoff run. He helps you once you get into the tournament. He helps you so many different ways. He's basically two players in one. We know all of that. But our game is just not all about that. This is a business. So I've brought up the point. Shohei Otani to the Angels is big money. I mean big, big, big money. It's big international money. We have seen it on our standpoint. When Shohei Otani shows up, we have people calling us who want to put Japanese advertisements behind home plate. So we make money off Shohei Otani internationally. So you can just imagine what they make off of him. I have brought up today in today's show. If we remember back to the World Baseball Classic, the last two games Team Japan played, somewhere between 80 to 90% of all televisions were on the World Baseball Classic in Japan. There's massive power with Shohei Otani staying with the Angels, especially if he's going after the home run record, which we didn't really do that much with Judge, but I wonder what we'll do with him about it being the clean record if he's able to do it, and how they'll perceive it as a Japanese player having the all-time record in the United States, this thing could be massive. I think could be in the hundreds of millions when you talk of what the Angels could make if they keep them versus the baseball sense of the deal is, listen, I'm probably not keeping them at the end of the year. I don't want to be bad for years to come. Can he get me five to six? whatever it is, whatever number you want to put on it, prospects. We know not all of them will hit. Hopefully some of them will, and that'll help us be better in the future. What's more important if you're the Angels? Wow. I mean, it, it, there's there's a lot to unfold. There, there really is, and I can only imagine these meetings that are getting had. So you can't forget that, you know, the Angels were almost for sale, and then yeah. they weren't, right? probably because of the money that Shale uh, Otani was bringing in. And you, you're going to be in the green a thousand percent by hanging on to the team one more year uh, or multiple years. Now you, you look at some of the huge trades, like in our past, I mean, all the way going back to Babe Ruth, right. Was traded, but you can talk about like a rod going from Texas to New York. You can talk about a Roger Clemens. You can talk about a Pedro, you can talk about the 2012 
Red Sox with the huge trade, Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, Carl Crawford going to L.A. Majority of these trades are actually like salary dumps. You can talk about Max Scherzer and Trey Turner from Washington to L.A. And because these guys were coming up on free agency and the organization probably couldn't afford them. Uh, and Evan Longoria, uh, David Price in Tampa. Um, the Angels can afford him. They, they, they really can keep him. But the 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 over the haul you can get for this guy is unlike any other trade in history, even as a rental. Um, now, to get this guy for what you have to give up, you you have to be it's World Series or bust. So, how many of those teams are out there? That that's interesting. And there's probably every single exec on the team that he could get traded to in these meetings, scouting their players, who to give up, how much money to take, all this stuff. But it really comes down to one dude, one dude. And that's Artie Moreno. Artie says, yes, he goes. Artie says, no, he doesn't go. His whole thing comes down to one guy. But what do you do if you're Artie Moreno? What do you do? You, you, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's the kind of money well, we really learned this from the World Baseball Classic. It's the kind of money you can go buy a bunch of players. I mean, he this has potential for big, big money. And reality is, yeah, some of those once all those prospects hits, that's great, and that could help you for years to come. I mean, it's it, what do you do? Do you go with the money or do you go with the future? It, it it's it's the craziest thing you could ever imagine right now because you are kind of arguing that Otani is a lot more valuable than Mike Trout, the best guy yeah. in this game in the last 80 years. Yeah. Uh, what if, you know, trade Trout to Philly and give Otani $600 million? How about that? You know, I mean, there, there, there's a lot on the line. Uh, how long is already plan on keeping the team? Um, it's, a, it, it's a really, really cool track record to follow hourly and daily in our game. Do you trade him or not if you're Artie Moreno? Well, it depends on how long I plan on keeping the team, to tell you the truth. Because you you could – I mean, it's the only guy in the game right now, literally the only guy in the game that your minor league system could jump uh, 18 spots. You know, you could be 18th in the farm system and jump to one with this guy if you want. Yeah. Um, especially if you made it like a – two to three to four team trade to where you're getting prospects from four different organizations. And a lot of guys are, you know, let's not forget about that option too. This isn't like getting three prospects from the Yankees. You can get three from the Yankees. You can get three from the Dodgers. You can get three from Texas. <coughs> Who knows where Otani goes. Some other guys move around. This could be a complete overhaul. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But, we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be great. All right, buddy. We will see you a little bit later as we'll be breaking down game two of the Red Sox and the Oakland Athletics A's pre and post game live on NBC Sports California. I can just say this, knowing how the fans feel, it's great to have you back in the mix. See you at the office, buddy. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Hall of Fame weekend this weekend up in Cooperstown, New York. Always one of the best sports weekends that there is. Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs joins us. He is going to be there in Cooperstown. And I know every, I mean, it used to be the last uh, weekend of July, but we're going to do it this weekend. And I know you got to be pumped. It's always so special to see the current guys going in and to always run into all the old Hall of Famers. Yeah, I, you know, this is this is a especially gratifying year because Scott Rowland is a guy who, you know, really uh, uh, was almost a forgotten man when he debuted on the ballot uh, in, in 2017. And, uh, you know, my jaw system showed him as uh, uh, one of the 10 or 12 best third basemen of all time. And eventually, um, you know, that helped uh, turn some voters towards him. And so uh, to see him going in and getting his due, um, you know, as one of the great third basemen of all time is is especially gratifying. Yeah, third base means a lot to me. I know we've never talked about this, but my grandfather was Bob Elliott. He was the first third baseman oh. ever to be the MVP in baseball, 1947. Had a great career, most RBIs awesome. in the 40s. Yeah, he was one of the first Wheaties guys. But, you know, you go way back when – you take a guy like my grandfather who had a great career, all the all-star games, hit two home runs off Bob Feller in the World Series, but then you think, like, Joe DiMaggio wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, Yogi Berra. I mean, the the process of what it used to be compared to now, and that's why why I bring up my grandfather, is been, there's been so many great third basemen, and we can talk about Sal Bando with the Oakland Athletics. It's really an unrepresented position in, in baseball history, especially with the Baseball Hall of Fame. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, this is actually uh, the foundation of the Cooperstown Casebook, the book that I wrote in 2017. Um, the uh, the chapter that got me the deal was about uh, the trouble with the, that voters have had in electing third basemen. Um, I think it really comes down to not being able, you know, voters have had a hard time weighing the balance between offense and defense. I mean, you know, at the, the beginning of the 20th century, third base was particularly important because uh, there was so much more bunting. Uh, and over time, I think the level of defensive responsibilities between third base and second base kind of flipped. Second base was the more offense, uh, uh, the higher bar for offense than third base was, and it kind of flipped. So voters have sort of had a hard time reckoning with, um, you know, these these outstanding defenders, some of whom could have played shortstop but maybe were too big physically, um, often had power but didn't hit for batting average. Um, Sal Bando is a great example of, of, of that. I, I wrote a tribute to him when he passed away um, earlier this year. Uh, it's an underrepresented position in the hall. It took until the late 40s uh, for the BBWAA to elect its first one. Uh, it took a long time to recognize guys like Ron Santo, um, you know, and, and, and there are some others that like Dick Allen and, and Ken Boyer, uh, and Bando, who are on the outside, and and it's just, I think they, you know, people un, you know underestimate how much defensive value these guys had, and how much offensive value they had when they were hitting a lot of home runs, but maybe not putting up big batting averages. You know, the thing about Scott Rowland. Now, obviously, when you're a big guy and you hit home runs and you got extra base hits, you're not surprised. I think the thing for me, just watching him, not looking at any defensive numbers, but just watching him was how well he moved at third base for a guy his size. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, when I think of Scott Rowland, I think of him horizontal. You know, I think of just his lateral ability to, to stop ball, the you know, hard hit balls coming at him. Uh, he was, uh, he was so good at that. And, you know, at uh, uh, six foot four, built like a tight end, he was yeah. so big, you know, he could just, he could, he could get to so many balls and, and, uh, um, you know, did it with, with, uh, I think, you know, a, a fair amount of grace for a guy his size and, and, uh, um, you know, was just, you know, people, people like, I'm always mystified when people said, was he really that good a defender? Man, you missed the show. Jeez. You know, cause he could, he was really outstanding there. And, and it's so odd to me, you know, cause Fred McGriff basically is his Toronto days or like I'm in high school, then I'm in college. And then I get into covering baseball as he's later in his career and Everybody now is like, oh, yeah, it's a no-brainer Fred McGriff is a Hall of Famer. You're like, wait a minute, when he was on the ballot, I don't think he even got close to 40% of the votes. It's funny how when he was on the ballot, he didn't even sniff it. Now that he's going in, everybody's like, of course he is. Look at Compare him to when Bonds wasn't on PEDs. It's like we now all accept that, of course, Fred McGriff was a Hall of Famer. But when he was on the ballot, though, he never even had a shot. Yeah, you know, I think McGriff had had a couple of, of things working against him. I mean, he did not, you know, when he led the league in homers twice, he had 35 and 36 home runs. And, and shortly afterwards, uh, you know, the, the juiced ball and the juiced players started putting up uh, astronomical totals, and he was kind of left in the dust. Um, you know, and, and he missed out on, on uh, getting to 500 home runs uh, by just seven because – uh, you know, in part because of the 1994 players' strike, he was still, um, you know, near his peak. Then he hit 34 homers in 113 games that year. So it's not hard to imagine that he could have uh, uh, put himself over the line just by that. Um, but you know, the thing about McGriff is, is, is he was a little one-dimensional. He did not. He was not a huge on-base guy. He did not have a massive slugging percentage. Uh, did not have much defensive or base running value. So he doesn't fare all that well in, in, you know, in wins above replacement or my jaws system. And, and, you know, as voters kind of started to look to that, to, to triage these ballots that were just absolutely stacked, um, you know, backlogged by the PED guys on whom there was no consensus on, on, on how to handle them. Um, you know, McGriff was just kind of a, a forgotten man, but I had very little doubt he would wind up uh, elected via this route, via an era committee, because, um, you know, I think the uh, the empathy that, that people have for uh, for his plight and the respect that he that he got uh, from his from his fellow players, it seemed like he was a natural for for this kind of uh, uh, route to Cooperstown. Well, I've been able to do it one time. I grew up a huge George Brett fan. Took the weekend off, and also a big Nolan Ryan fan. I was there. Oh, that was a great one. Yeah, ninety Robin Yount, and then of course being out here at the time, I was working for the San Francisco Giants flagship station, and Orlando Cepeda was going in. So I went back and covered that in '99. I try and tell people it's such a special weekend, and the fact that when when you say like you could like see the Hall of Famers, you know, the night before they all come in and they do the dinner, I tell the story. I literally turned a corner and I ran into the great Tom Seaver. Like, Tom Seaver and I collided. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, Tom Seaver. I mean, they are everywhere. It's uh, Cooperstown. Is, I, I call it the little the little mini Lake Tahoe. Uh, you got the Great Lake with, the, with the, the inn right there, the golf course, and then all the bed and breakfasts, just the little one downtown strip and all the restaurants. I mean, the Hall of Famers are everywhere walking down the street. 
I, it's such a special weekend. I do think if you're a baseball fan, to just get there one time, no matter what time of the year, but if you can ever go for an induction ceremony, it's free to the public. It, it really is a special, special moment every year. Yeah, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to uh, a couple times to go to the uh, the cocktail party in the Platt Gallery, which is uh, oh, wow. uh, an invitation-only event. It's like seeing your baseball cards come to life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you got to – like last time – last year I, there was a table where uh, Rod Carew and George Brett and uh, – um, uh, I'm forgetting who the other player was – are sitting there and they're probably talking hitting and, and maybe it's Fergie Jenkins. I don't know. It's just like, holy Toledo, this is so cool. Um, you know, I'm, it's the one time that I just get totally starstruck. I, like, I'm, I, I'm really not somebody who goes up and starts, you know, picking these guys' brains or, or, or even saying hi, but uh, uh, I'm, just, I'm just in awe that these are the players that I grew up and they gave me my love of baseball. Um, you know, and, and to see, you know, there's a few of them, obviously, that I've, that I've had the chance to, to, uh, uh, to make the case for. Uh, like Burt Blylevin and, and, and some others there, Mike Messina, and, and that's always cool too. So, yeah, um, it, it's it's amazing. You could just walk down the street and see a Hall of Famer, you know, if not once every 15 minutes, then at least once an hour. Yeah, it, it is so – it's I mean, it's not easy to get to. Uh, you know, a lot of people, we flew into Albany, the capital of New York, and then you drive down, it's about 45 minutes. But uh, it, it it is such a – if you're a baseball fan, you got to get there at least once in your lifetime. It is worth the travels. It, it is worth the time. You know, when I think about some historical players, and we were just kind of looking at some numbers – you know, I grew up in Southern California watching a lot of Steve Garvey. I know what kind of career Garvey had. Garvey was a winner, was a, had a terrific career. We've brought him on the program here many times. I look at his postseason numbers. He was an absolute monster in the postseason. I know people in New York and St. Louis like to bring up Keith Hernandez, another guy affiliated with the A's who had a great career as an MVP, just like Hernandez and Garvey. Uh, was the great Dave Parker, who won multiple championships, including the A's in 1989. A lot of people, his days, whether it's in Pittsburgh or Cincinnati. When you look at some of these guys and what they have meant to the history of baseball, I may, maybe the war doesn't stand up, but you look at their significance in the game. Do you make a case? Do you want to make a case for guys like this? Because I know we get asked about this all the time. Yeah, you know, look – I wish I could make a stronger case for all, for all those guys. I think Hernandez is the one for whom I can make the strongest case based on my system. I focus on making the case for the guys for whom my numbers uh, are, you know, are uh, back the case. Um, I'll leave uh, the case for part, you know, I, when, when, when a Parker or a Garvey is on the ballot, you know, I'll be frank with you. Those guys don't measure up as well uh, in this. And the problem, it's not that I want to vote, against them it's that there are you know they're up against better candidates whom i you know whom i'd rather uh throw my support behind so um it's just a reality i think one that comes to mind though that i that i kind of have flipped on was dale murphy um his jaws isn't great um but dale murphy had a really great seven-year peak uh, yeah. which is part of the part of my system and you got yeah. those two mvp awards and I'm sitting here a few years ago when Harold Baines got elected, and I'm like, damn it. You know, if Harold Baines is getting in, what are we arguing about Dale Murphy for? Because Dale Murphy was 10 times the player as Harold Baines, and he was legitimately 
you know, the best player in the game for, you know, you could make the case he was the best player in the game for about half a decade at least, playing a premium position, um, helping to turn around a franchise. And, and, you know, that's the kind of player I think, you know, where the numbers are just a little short. I think I'm a little bit more motivated to, to, uh, to focus on, um, you know, there was, he was on that ballot uh, alongside uh, uh, Fred McGriff. And, and I was, you know, I was, I was kind of hoping, you know, it's like, I'm not sure I could really justify voting for him, but if he got in, boy, I'll, I'll be, I'll be happy just the same. And, uh, because I also think that, you know, on a ballot where there's a lot of character questions and a lot of, you know, a lot of people weren't happy with, with, uh, um, you know, with some of the guys on the ballot. Um, Dale Murphy was a pretty upstanding, uh, you know, role model for the game and somebody who I think in his post-career life has, has continued in, in that capacity. And, and, uh, um, so he's one I'd love to see recognized. Yeah, before we had the big three with Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Chipper Jones, Bobby Cox, the old Superstation when I was a kid. I remember we had, da- mm-hmm. we, had we had Dale Murphy on the show. And I said, Dale, I grew up in San Diego, but I loved watching you play because I could watch you on TBS. I mean, it was a big deal. The Braves, they were terrible, but Dale Murphy was the man back in the day. I- I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, before we let you go, talk about some current players uh, when you look at current players right now in your system, I'm sure like a Mike Trout is a no-brainer. Maybe a Mookie Betts is a no-brainer. How are some of the current players doing? Yeah, Mookie Betts is one that stands out as really he's just he's he's already done just all the major things you need to do and 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 already is is uh, uh, well on his way here. Um, you know, uh, Jose Ramirez is one that that that, that I look at. Uh, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Joey Votto, obviously. Um, one that surprised me that has some Oakland connections, who's really kind of come on strong in the last few years, and might be a really good late career uh, guy uh, along the lines of another uh, uh, player who passed through the Rangers, is Marcus Semien. Yeah. Um, really has had wow. you know, his, his durability over the last five years um, and his blossoming into a, into a, you know, a, a stronger offensive force has really uh, put him on my radar for the first time this year. And I, I wrote about him. Um, who else? Shohei Otani. I mean, if we can't, if the hall of fame can't find room for Shohei Otani, what's that? What are we doing here? You know? Well, how does your system, like, let's say, I mean, we have no, I think he plays a long time, at least offensively. It's still, it's still mind boggling to go back and look at those scouting reports people had of him coming out of Japan where they said, oh yeah, he's a really good pitcher, but I don't think he can hit at this level. I have no idea what those scouts were looking at, but let's just say he doesn't have this long career. No matter what, how, how, how will your jaws system evaluate him? I mean, it's a, it's. He's the most unique guy we've ever seen. Yeah, you know, I, I it took me a while to sort of figure figure it out a little bit, but there's actually a precedent with John Montgomery Ward from from the 19th century. It's basically, you know, you look at you look at what Otani has done over the last three years, and those are essentially they're going to be like you know 27 to 30 WAR over those three seasons. I mean, that's a huge start. I I've, I'm on record as saying, and I will, and, and I think if he gets to 10 years and is still you know, has been pitched, has been doing double duty most of this time, which I think already more or less describes, you know, his career to date. He had one year where he couldn't pitch. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of an injury related disaster anyway. Um, he'll have my vote, you know, because I think that, I think that the offensive numbers will be special. The pitching numbers have already been special. We've never seen this. We've never seen anybody uh, in our lifetime 
uh, or really since the start of the, the 20th century, sustained this kind of regular play. There was a 19th century guy, Ward, that, Ward that I just mentioned, but the, Babe Ruth wasn't doing this. Babe Ruth was kind of dabbling as a pitcher or dabbling as a hitter, and then, you know, uh, midway, midway through the, the, the 1919 season, it was suddenly like, all right, he's a hitter now, um, and, and that's it, and he barely started after that. So it's not quite this, the analog. But Otani is just, boy, are we, we're, we're in danger of taking for granted how special this is. Yeah, speaking of voting, you want to talk about getting real interesting. I don't think he gets traded, but let's just say he does, and let's say he gets traded to a National League team. I mean, no-brainer. I mean, he should get all the votes for MVP of American League, but what happens if he gets traded to the National League? Boy, I, I had you know, I hadn't even thought of that. It's I, crazy, right? I know that. Yeah, no, and I, I, look, I, and I know that that uh, uh, you know two of the teams that can probably that, that probably have the capital and the motivation to go get them are the Dodgers and the Giants, and, and I hadn't even really considered the MVP angle on that, um, but you're right, that's going to look really weird um, <laughs> if the if the if the American League MVP plays two thirds of the season, in, 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 you know, in, in the AL and one third in the NL, that's that's going to be pretty strange. Well, I'll tell you what, your work is second to none. And for all of us who truly appreciate the Hall of Fame and love the Hall of Fame, what it means to our game, uh, the fact that you keep it alive year-round and the talk about it and judging guys and keeping the conversation going, we always love it. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, but enjoy Cooperstown. I know it's a special weekend for you. It's a special weekend for all of us in baseball. Enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you later in the season. All right, thanks so much. Great to talk to you guys. You know who one of one of my favorite Oklahoma Sooner fans of all time is? Mm. Um, there could be so many. Well, he used to pitch for the A's. Is it is that our next guest? He used to throw a knuckleball. Oh, is it this guy? Is it this guy? It is that guy. It is this guy. How about that? How about how about an Oklahoma Sooner out in right field? Can we give Cody Thomas some playing time? Oh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. You ever heard that? Uh, I think of Keith Jackson in Oklahoma. Oh, Nelly. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you played either for Bob Stoops or you played for Lincoln Riley and you're a quarterback at Oklahoma, you're an extremely good athlete. And we looked at this Cody Thomas. I've been watching him, and he's now healthy. I'm going, look at his size, look at his ability to run. Obviously, he's got a rocket arm. He's got power. He hit the first ever changeup out of the ballpark as a lefty against Bayo yesterday against Boston. You know, Sparksy, isn't this a point when you – I mean, you've always talked fondly about the A's, and and you love being out here. I mean, you know at this point, like, isn't this the time to let guys play and figure out what you got? I think so. I mean, I'm sure Kotze has a, a big say in that. I'm sure he wants the best athletes out there and see what they could do guys with ceilings you know that he can teach he seems like a great teacher Kotze, who can go out there and help somebody along especially an outfielder as far as his routes go it can maximize his his tools that he already has you know you think back to the early days of lunau and the astros and jim crane takes over and bo porter and the original rebuild Kind of like talk us through that process, what the mentality was of young players and trying to figure out, envisioning who's going to be here long term. Well, it was a clear plan, and they were very transparent to begin with. And they said, listen, 
this isn't going to be easy, but this is what we have to do to have sustained success. And what they had to do is they had to get a better farm system. At that time, they had the 30th ranked farm system in baseball, along with a bad team at the major league level. So they said, listen, we're going to draft guys and we're going to push them along. But uh, the product you're going to see at the major league level is more of an open tryout. And, you know, you're talking about some of these guys coming up with Oakland right now. Yeah. Who's going to sift through that? And for the Astros, you know, we talk about this all the time. There's a couple of guys that we probably knew that were going to sift through that at the time when they were really bad, and that was Altuve. Uh, Dallas Keuchel was a little iffy, but he did. And the other was Marwin Gonzalez, who was a Rule 5 pick at the time, who ended up being an integral member of the, the championship team just a few years later. So uh, that's all we talked about, though, on the broadcast. And that was pushed, you know, in the notes and everything else was, this is what George Springer is doing. This is what Carlos Correa is doing. This is what so-and-so is doing it at the minor league level and this is what they had to look forward to you know the last couple of days doing tv here up in san francisco johnny gomes who two-time world series champion was a great leader for us in 2012 kept talking about how every day at the big league level is an audition i think about your career i think about all these guys careers now we don't think about that but it truly is and i especially think about with oakland and with houston back in the day every yeah. single game every single day up here is an audition not only for your team but the other 29 teams but it's painful. You know, I, I was just looking at the notes today in the Astros when they went to the American League, lost their first 20 of 24 against a, a really good Oakland team. Yeah. So it was a bit of a role reversal to, to an extent, but it wasn't without a lot of good times as far as these two organizations were concerned, where they were both at the, the top level in, in the American League West when they were battling it out with those great teams. So I know it's disheartening. You know, it's disheartening for me to see what this A's could have been, uh, you know, with Sean Murphy and Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, and we can go on and on. And I'm sure you guys have done it over and over, seeing how well guys have done with for other teams, and that's hard to take. But just the it's the nature of the beast right now. So they got to go through uh, some growing pains with a lot of these players. But I'm big on talent, you know, and I think talent in the end wins. And if you can teach them to play the game the right way, I think that's the way to go about it. It's still hard to believe we haven't had a repeat champion since the Yankees of the late 90s into 2000. Yep. It just shows you how tough it is and how everybody gets better. And it's more of a tournament than ever before with expanded playoffs. Yep. You know, looking at the Astros right now, four and a half games back of the Texas Rangers. I'm not even going to bring up the wild card because I know the Astros are not about the wild card. It's about chasing down Texas. We're getting down to the deadline here. Everybody's phones are heating up. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Houston? Do you think they're going to be buyers? I don't even really know how many people are that good as sellers and who who really has a lot to sell, but just what, what do you think the Astros are looking for and could possibly do here going up to the deadline? Well, I don't think there's a lot on the shelf right now, and there are a lot of buyers. So yeah. it's slim pickings because both centrals, American and National League, it's still up for grabs. I think just about every team in both of those divisions still probably think they have a chance to get to the playoffs in the wild card scenario. So uh, the Astros team is not the same as what they were uh, in the last few years, and I think it has a lot to do with how deep they've gone into the playoffs year after year after year. There just hasn't been as much recovery time and. When you couple that with the fact that they played in the WBC and a lot of their pitchers and a lot of their players had to ramp it up in the middle of March with little recovery time playing until November 5th, I think it's hurt them. 
to be honest with you. They, they've got four of the four of their relievers have the most appearances, and they're all in the top ten of most appearances in the major leagues right now, still coming off of a lack of rest in the offseason. And I think that's going to catch up to them. It already has in effectiveness with a couple of these guys, but I think it's going to hurt them as we go along. They need fresh blood. They've got to go out there and get a couple of pitchers, one a starter and maybe one or two relievers and maybe a left-handed bat. I think that's what they're looking at right now. Uh, do they have enough in the minor leagues or at the big league level as far as their uh, disposable, uh, with air quotes, say, uh, pieces uh, to get that done? That remains to be seen. Well, you and I have talked about it. I know we, we're, we're like dinosaurs talking about starting pitching. You and I have discussed it. We hate it. We just had Boston here. Boston was the hottest team in July. They're throwing opener after opener at us. The San Francisco Giants have been one of the hotter teams. They've been throwing a ton of openers. It's like uh, starting pitching. Uh, where is it? Who's got it? How do you get it? How do you sustain it? How do you keep it healthy? It's like it, it's, it is a major problem. I think you've got to train differently, Chris. You know, with the pitch timer, it's a little different now. And these guys throwing every pitch as hard as they can. They don't have as much time to recover to do it over and over again. And guys just aren't getting very deep into the ball game. So when that happens, it's a domino effect with the with the relief core, because those guys are getting used more and, and a little longer. Uh, so it just it, it trickles. So how do you train a little more anaerobically than aerobically? Uh, because you only have 15 or 20 seconds to recover after you just let one go at 97 miles per hour. It's a little tougher, you know, to get deeper into the game unless you teach these guys to pitch a little bit. And I'm not saying all the way, but a little bit like guys did 25 years ago where they changed speeds on everything rather than just let it go everything. You know, sometimes take four miles per hour off of your fastball and get a guy out front and get an easy out. Things of that nature, I think, might go a long way. Well, one thing a lot of people, unless you're following it or you got them on your fantasy team like I do, is Jordan Alvarez. Yeah. We've been waiting for him. I saw in the notes that he had a base hit yesterday in Sugarland. Uh, you know, this guy is truly one of the best offensive forces in all of baseball. I, I have to think the way the Astros have still played and you're getting him back soon has got to be a big sigh of relief for Dusty Baker. Yeah, when you talk about the trade deadline, you, you have to factor in that. That's almost like a trade. You get him back. Him and Altuve have only played in 13 games together all season long. Wow. It's been, it's been a nightmare for uh, for them in that regard. And that's two players that had an OPS above 900 last year. So they're losing a lot uh, with Altuve, too. Uh, they get both of those guys back. It's a, it's a flip of the coin whether or not you get Brantley. That's been a, a struggle to get him on the field this year. He hasn't played. Uh, and then we'll we'll see with Urquidy, and it seems like Urquidy is going to be able to uh, help the rotation at some point. Maybe they can go to a six-man rotation like they did last year. Uh, but Jordan Alvarez, what's freaky about what he did to begin the season, he was one of the hottest hitters for the first couple months. Chris, you know, he didn't even play in spring training until the last two exhibition games. He only got seven ABs before the season began, and he was good to go, and he was knocking the ball all over the ballpark already. Yeah, straight talent. He's got just unbelievable talent. Kyle great, Tucker, great too. Kyle Tucker's been playing real well and, and, and you know, kind of like, I'm not going to say a breakout year because he's been good. We've all known in the division he's good, but to a lot of people, they might be seeing a lot more of him because of the other guys being injured, injured knowing how good Kyle Tucker can flat out play and swing it. 
Right, you know, it seems like every time we get to the end of a series, we'll talk to the other team's broadcasters or somebody within the other organization. And everybody goes, man, just forget how good Kyle Tucker is. Man, he, he stole the show that entire series. I mean, he does. He, he can beat you with his routes in the outfield. He can beat you with his arm. He's accurate. He can beat you with his speed. He leads the team with 18 stolen bases. Uh, and, of course, he's got the power. He can spray the ball to all fields. And uh, it doesn't hurt that the shifts aren't as drastic as they were uh, in, in the past couple of years because he's taken advantage of that, too. What is the battle of Texas like? Is it really coming yes. around, Rangers, Astros? Tell us what the feeling's like in the Lone Star State. You know, it's just about three hours and 15 minutes up I-45. You know, Astros fans show up in Arlington and vice versa. And now that both teams are good for the first time in quite a while, uh, since 2016, I believe, uh, it's made it a lot of fun, especially with the new ballpark in Arlington with the roof. Uh, you can plan on going up, up there and, and not – suffering that type of weather uh, that you had for all those years and both places really but for both teams to be really good there's a lot of smack talk uh but more than anything it's just a lot of good entertaining baseball and that's fun yeah we need hatred like longhorns aggies yeah. a&m versus texas that's what we need can we get yeah. that going now yeah. i'd be interested i would too yeah i love it you know i i, I like it you know just the fact you know i'm not saying that the astros ran away with the division but I like the fact that this division is more competitive now that there's a few teams involved and I hope it remains that way for the next few years, because those are the games you like to call as a, as a broadcaster. Well, we, we, we can talk about all the different changes that they have made in Texas and certain players and pitching's better, and, but just, uh, you got to give Bruce Bochy a lot of credit. You just, you, you just have to, I mean, that, I mean, that's a huge change for them. One of the reasons why they're successful. You know, I asked Phil Garner a long time ago. I said, what's the, what's the biggest thing you got to do as a manager? And he said, you know, there's a couple of them. And one of them is to manage the media. That way you can take a lot of the heat and the pressure off of the players. You know, if you can accommodate the media and you can give them what they want on a daily basis, they got enough to write about then they won't bug your players and they can get ready to play baseball. He said the next thing by far, I mean, you got to be able to run a good bullpen. You, you got to get guys in when you've gotten them up and ready in the, in the bullpen uh, and you got to use the right matchups. And when you're smart about that, you know, he's a former catcher. I think that always helps, but uh, almost every player that I ever talked to that was a reliever on other teams has always noticed the way Bruce Bochy has ran a bullpen and admired that and wanted to play for him. Now we've all seen the angels. I mean, right now where the angels are, they're hanging in this thing. A game over 500 has had a great weekend against the New York Yankees. Are you going to be shocked after the deadline if Shohei Otani is still in division and still playing for the Angels? I want to say this, and I was thinking about this when the Astros were in Anaheim earlier, uh, just a week or so ago. It's going to take a special team to be able to have the type of roster to handle Shohei Otani. And I'm not saying anything disparaging about him. He's just a unique talent. And not every team can absorb a guy that's going to need six days of rest to pitch every sixth day because your fourth and fifth starters are going to have a brutal routine. They're going to pitch every eighth day sometimes. They're going to pitch every fifth day sometimes. So it's never going to be on a routine. So your fourth and fifth starters, Chris, basically, yeah. are going to be worse than they were before you signed them. Tyler Anderson's a perfect example, okay? He's basically the fourth or fifth starter uh, for the Angels. 
he's never gotten into a routine this year and he hasn't pitched well. And I think it's because he's in the same rotation with Otani. The other thing is, think back to last year when Albert Pujols was playing first base. You think Albert Pujols needed to play first base at that stage of his career? No, but it was because all the DH spots were taken by Otani. Rightly so. He's, the, he's one of the best hitters of baseball and probably this year is. But it's going to take a special team to have a roster that can accommodate him on both ends of the baseball. Don't you agree? Oh, I, I, I had I what was the what was the beat writer's name for the uh, Angels for the Athletic? I got into Bollinger, Sam Blum, Sam Blum, and he thought I was the biggest moron in the world, and I was going like, wait a minute. You need like five other starters to make this thing work, and you yeah. don't have that. It's like it's it's like I understand his greatness. It's the best skill set we've ever seen in the yeah. history of baseball. But your pitching staff, you don't have enough starters to accommodate what you need to do for him. And he thought I was nuts. You're saying exactly what I was saying to this guy from the Athletic. I totally well, agree with you. Roster. You've got to have the perfect roster, and I think maybe it takes an off season to get ready for it. Well, then again, you know what we could do? We could get a bunch of guys who throw knuckleballs who could eat a bunch of innings and they wouldn't get hurt and we wouldn't have everybody be soft. How about that? See, you get it. Why doesn't everybody <laughs> else get it? I don't know. Why can't people get the? Why can't we? I, I could throw a knuckleballer three times a week if I needed. Yeah. Hey, there's a kid for the Padres that throws a knuckleball. He got to the big leagues. He's made one start this year. There was a caveat uh, to his performance, though. I don't know if you saw this. But he made a start, and they said, hey, but if somebody gets on base, you can't throw the knuckleball because no. Gary Sanchez was catching, and he was too nervous. The Sanchino, yeah. Can you believe that? So he's going to throw all of his, his brutal stuff that, that made him become a knuckleballer in the first place, that weak fastball and cutter he probably had with guys in scoring position. Talk about handcuffs. Let's end on this. If I, if I brought you into an organization and I said – Teach some of my guys because they're not going to get hurt. They're going to be durable. They're going to yeah. throw a ton of in- – because what's the one thing we need? We need innings. We need healthy guys who throw innings. How long do you think it would take you to teach some guys to actually really be effective with it? You know, you have to identify the, the right temperament, and I tell this to people all the time, and I've said it for 10 or 11 years when the Astros have had a few guys in the minor leagues wanted me to take a look at them uh, on the mounds in spring training and things of that nature. First, it's temperament. And if you look at any guy that had success with the knuckleball, they all had the same temperament. you got to be very laid back to throw that much of a field pitch in big situations. So temperament's number one. Uh, that might be a candidate. And number two, I think I would take probably an infielder that wasn't going to get to the big leagues who was a little shorter in stature. I think it helps to stay behind the baseball a little longer. If you're shorter, uh, you're not throwing downhill and get the rollover uh, in that case. And I think you start right there, you know, as somebody who can repeat their delivery that's pretty athletic. Uh, and then with these cameras now, I would give anything if I had the cameras to figure out what it looks like when I'm yeah. not throwing the ball correctly because it's such a mechanical pitch. Oh, I didn't think about that. These high-speed cameras, you would see the ball huge. in slow motion. See where your wrist is, see where your fingers are. All that stuff would have been huge. I was in the hotel rooms looking in the mirror all the time trying to figure stuff out. Oh, my God. I mean, a guy that you're talking about, like Tim Wakefield. I mean, he was a guy in Pittsburgh wasn't going to be able to hit. Next thing you know, Tim Wakefield had an unbelievable career and made a lot of money. Yep, he sure did. You know, and I think there's going to be a comeback. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, Bob Melvin actually threw me a baseball in the A's dugout before uh, the ball game. He said, do you think you can throw a knuckleball with this ball? 
and I, I grabbed it and it was like a cue ball. It was so hard. And I said, you know what? I can't even get my fingernails close to digging into this baseball. So my answer was no, obviously. But a couple of years later, Major League Baseball, they used their spectrum to, to un, you know, untighten the baseball, so to speak, and, and make it a little softer. So where I think you could throw the knuckleball again. I think they need a, a couple of knuckleballers. I think it would serve a great niche on a, on a roster for the things that you just said. You can eat up innings, not only out of the bullpen, perhaps, but in the starting rotation, you get a guy who can go th- seven innings pretty regularly. Uh, that's going to be a big difference for your team. Always great having you on, buddy. We appreciate it, and we'll be back at the ballpark. We'll come see you tomorrow on the press box. All right, Tony. Take care, buddy. Uh, he's one of the best. Play-by-play, former A knuckleballer, Steve Sparks for the Houston Astros. The great Jeff Blum joins us. You don't need some intern to get you around here. You're like royalty well, around here. I've got, like, a baseball clock. And if I'm five minutes too early, it's too late. Oh, yeah. If you're not early, no. you're late. No, and I, now, love, I love the treehouse, by the way. I've been here a couple of times. It's awesome. Huh? And we filmed a couple of things up here like our, for our open. I love this place. So years ago. Can you tell I'm out of breath? Huh? I'm out of breath. What happened to you? Wrong you were me? a primetime athlete back in the day. Middle infielder. That was years ago. I yeah. mean, the pride of Cal playing in the College World <laughs> yeah, don't Series. Tell anybody, huh? You can't even walk over to the treehouse. Uh, I'm exposed. This was back when they built Mount Davis. This was just a generic bar for Raider games. Okay. And then when the Raiders decided to leave, we decided, you know, let's make a, an area. And before COVID, I always did the pregame show right here where we are oh, now. No I did it every single game, and fans would come up, and it was every game. And then COVID closed everything down, and now we've kind of reopened it back up, and this is where we do happy hour. I'm it's at, outstanding. I mean, it's a good you, call. If you weren't on the air, I'd buy a drink or two or What's, three. I mean, why did being on it? Well, on air may stop you. Just saying. Load them up. <laughs> it's going to be a fun Astros broadcast tonight. Hey, uh, uh, reading in my notes, and I keep thinking to myself, Yep. It is hard to believe that I'm looking at where the Astros are only four games back, and Altuve and Jordan Alvarez have not even played really with each other all year long. Is that not amazing? 13 games they've played total together. What's unfortunate about that number is six of those 13 times have been against the Oakland A's, oddly enough. And that was something that we pulled out the other day, but it is kind of crazy. And I don't know are, – are you more surprised that the Rangers haven't taken off like they have, or are you as surprised to see the Astros still in contention even though they don't have those guys? I'm more surprised they're only four games out knowing how good Texas has been. Mm-hmm. We saw France yesterday. He was fabulous, knowing that he came up for Urquidy. Yeah. I started looking at the names. These are big-time names that have been out. Obviously, the World Baseball Classic. Uh, and the injury there to Altuve. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of guys in the baseball classic. I think we all know it's awesome for our game. It's super exciting. But guys are tired by the midseason after they've gotten early ready. A lot of people don't want to talk about that. but Well, well we all talk, you talk about the A's injuries. I talk about the Astros injuries. We just got done in Colorado. Bud Black's talking about their injuries. And I don't know if it's because it's a WBC season, but – if you look across the league, there are a lot of teams that have been beat up, and it feels like the teams that are playing well are the ones who are actually able to stay healthy. And I know the Rangers lost to Grom. They probably would have been a little bit better with him, but they've been relatively healthy as far as their starting rotation is concerned. They need a little bit on the back end of their bullpen just picking up a role as Chapman, but I don't know how much faith you can have in Will Smith and Josh Spore is kind of getting exposed here a little bit lately. 
But uh, it, it does feel like some of those injuries are mounting up. And one guy that we don't talk about, or that at least maybe we haven't talked about, Lance McCullers Jr. Is on, has yeah. been on the shelf for the, the entire season and will be well into next season. So the fact that this pitching staff with J.P. France, Brandon Belak, Ronell Blanco, um, there, there's other guys in there that have been mixed in, but they've been able to just be serviceable. J.P. France has been fantastic on the road. I think a minimum of 70 innings. He's got a 2.0-something ERA, lowest in Major League Baseball. So you need those guys to kind of overachieve or be able to place themselves in that rotation until Urquidy can come back or until they go make that trade to go get a, a starter. But when they get the offense back, that's going to be a lot of fun. Here is my question for everybody, as obviously – we're one of the sellers, and I talked to David Force, our general manager, about this because mm -hmm. our players are not the players you want with your A selection, your B selection. We're more in the C or D, so I think I, even though Fuji just got traded to yep. Baltimore, I really do think last day when you've lost out, now I'm calling the A's because I need to make some type of deal. That's yep. when I think our players are going to go. But we can all sit here. Red Sox are just in town. Mm -hmm. You guys are now in town. I mean, we're going to have the Giants coming up, and everybody's going to say, well, you know, if we add this, there's where are you going to go get these guys? Because there's know. not that many sellers. And the sellers, if you're not Chicago, if you're not St. Louis, I don't know where the Padres going to become. There's, <laughs> not, really there's not a lot of players who have teams to sell you. Yeah, and that's why you keep hearing names like Marcus Stroman and uh, Cody Bellinger yeah, in Cubs Chicago. Are another one, yeah. Um, but one name that I keep hearing with the Astros is Michael Lorenzen, who's dealing right now. His trade value is probably skyrocketing at this moment because he's pitching so well. But I think the idea for the Astros is it's going to be pitching because if you're getting a Jordan Alvarez back, if you're getting a Jose Altuve back, you look pretty good as far as offense if you're making quote-unquote acquisitions and you're getting them from within. You don't have to make a move for them, and they're healthy. They're gonna, your offense is going to get substantially better. But how do you, how do you protect your bullpen? And how do you extend your rotation a little bit? you got to go out and find a guy like Michael Lorenz. And I know Brady Singer, another Kansas City Royal guy, that keeps talking, being talked about. His numbers aren't that great, but it feels like he's got the stuff that you can kind of maybe coach up a little bit and make him good for your rotation. That's another name that's out there. But it's going to be very interesting, especially for the Houston Astros. If you, if, if you haven't paid attention to prospect lists or the top 100 that we keep hearing on MLB Pipeline, the Astros don't have any guys in that in that top 100, so to speak. You've got the Corey Lees, a catcher in AAA, has got big league time. You know, you keep hearing Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, some of these big league talent. But as far as getting deep into the system, it's going to be hard to go out and find a package to put together to be able to get back what you actually need. That's what I, I find interesting. I hear Lorenzen and Singer, and that's not as sexy as Verlander and Cole. No. <laughs> you guys Cranky, used to yeah. go get the like the, <laughs> the hottest model on the runway. Yep. Those were the days. Right? Those were the days. I mean, you had me at Verlander, Lorenzen. We know Lorenzen. You have – I mean, I, I know you've been around a while, but there were – those two years when we picked up, you know, in 2017, you're going, okay, this team's pretty good. Then you yeah. kind of – we got on a flight coming back, I think, from Seattle. Uh, or No, we were actually in Tampa playing because of Hurricane Harvey, and we were coming back, and we're like, man, everybody keeps talking about Justin Verlander, the Astros. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. And you start hitting everybody, go, man, that'd be great. Yeah. Can you imagine calling one of his games? And sure enough, we land the plane, and we've got 
Cameron Mabin and Justin Verlander coming over, and we were just like, holy crap, this is it's going to happen. And they started to play really good baseball. We got to call one of his no-hitters. And then Garrett Cole, we get to call some of his games. And, I mean, you talk about having a blast. I mean, it's just sit back, enjoy, watch what these guys are able to do. But I think those days are gone <laughs> in this organization. It's a different ball game when yeah. Verlander gets on the plane, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you want to turn some heads. You start – I mean, you go into some ballparks, you know, early, early on, 15, 16, 17, and you're like, oh, hey, Altuve, a Bregman. You know, Carlos Correa and George Springer, they're kind of big guys, and they garner some attention. But when you put a—you put an ace like that in a rotation and yeah. he steps off the plane or walks into a ballpark, all of a sudden everybody kind of straightens up and looks over and goes, oh, damn, here they come. You know, and maybe I don't know if that guy's out there this year. You know, I the one thing, though, that is good for baseball, and it's, you know, getting the two Texas teams in the American League, getting them good at the same time, yeah. can kind of mean something because we know that we're not that far away that you're going to wake up in the morning and the Dallas Morning News and it's Cowboys, 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 back page, <laughs> yeah. high school football, high school football, back page Rangers. You ain't lying. So if the Rangers are not relevant by the time training camp hits, Ooh. no one even cares. But I got – and even Houston. Houston's huge in football, Texas A&M. You got mm-hmm. the Texans. Uh, University of Houston has been good in football. So, all of a sudden, I start TCU. I mean, yeah, you, start thinking, you start thinking about it like baseball in Texas, is this the year we're finally going to see Rangers, Astros? It means something, and now the rivalry is on. Yeah, and, you know, moving from California to Texas, now trying to understand, absorb all everything that you're talking about because – on the outside looking in, you're like, okay, they love football, big deal. But they've got the Astros. They've got good baseball teams. They've got pretty good basketball teams in both of those arenas. And then you've got San Antonio Spurs, and you're like, there's other stuff going on. But you're exactly right. As soon as that calendar turns and you get into training camps and you start looking forward to football season, all of a sudden you get dwarfed. You kind of get pushed out a little bit. Fortunately for us down in Houston, the Texans have been awful. Yeah. And they have been an organization that's just kind of run amok a little bit. So all the focus has kind of shifted to the Astros in good and bad ways but they've been winning, so they've kind of stolen a lot of the thunder of the, of the football season. But if you can have two winning teams, if you can have a division leader and a wild card coming out of the West in Texas, I think that would be huge for the state of Texas. And all of a sudden you do get a lot more eyes, and you can kind of push those other teams back on the back burner a little bit. Okay, you hear about it, and I know they had Friday night lights, but, you know, when you live <laughs> in California, you go, is it really that true? It wasn't until I started traveling with the Raiders – and you start going around, and I remember when we played the Texans, that was a few years ago, mm-hmm. like high school football oh, pushes man. everything to the side. Like, it, it doesn't matter. High school football is the same thing in Florida, anywhere in the southeast. High school football is king. It, it, it's hard to believe, but it is king. This is going to sound terrible, especially considering the stadium situation that the Oakland A's are in and this community because – we moved out to Texas, and we live in a community, a suburb of Texas called Katy. And they were in the process of building a new district stadium, and they had to pass a bill that would, that would raise $70 million. It passed on the first vote. It wasn't even like, oh, let's think about it. Where are we going to get this money? Are people really going to be involved? Dude, it was like, where do I sign? These people signed up, and now there's a $70 million stadium with suites, a club level, season tickets for, a, for Katy ISD. So that gives you an idea of so what who's football playing means. There, Every, well, I think there's there's either ten or twelve KDISD teams right now, and they rotate 
who gets to play there every Friday. So you know, so the high school area, they will all get to go play at that that's stadium. That's badass. They have they have a big screen. They have like a jumbotron, and I mean, I. It, Games are streaming. I can watch a game on my phone if I wanted to, but they will show instant replays of great catches or great plays up on the big screen in the middle of a high school football game. So the game of the week in Katy, Texas. Oh man, you're playing in this seventy oh, yeah. million dollar stadium. Oh yeah, and they and they have the LEDs on the outside. Seventy million. <laughs> they voted for it, and they got it. That's not asking everybody else in grants. That's $70 million from the taxpayers for high school football. Yeah, go for it. And wow. they, I mean, the LEDs are on the outside, so it'll light up your team, your school colors how many, how, and stuff. What's the, what, what can you get in there? Attendance. I think there's about 15,000, 15,000, 20,000, yeah. That takes me back to my high school yeah. football days. I'd love that. Could you imagine playing with that kind of energy? And it's on television, too. Oh, yeah. Every, oh, and like you said, there's sideline reporters. I know it, <laughs> I know our network, you know, I think we're still called the AT&T Sportsnet, but I think they actually they have sideline reporters. They're covering this, and they have a weekly show, a magazine show, every week about high school football. Not to get it too much into the business of baseball, but baseball has taken over the Padres. They're taking yeah. over the Diamondbacks. Uh, I just heard from Ryan Spielborgs that – Mm. AT&T Sportsnet will no longer do the Rockies after this season. Yeah, we were just up there, heard the same. What's good? Are you guys, we're, do you know? We're, I mean, you know, but you don't know kind of thing. Yeah. You have an idea. We've, there's all kinds of rumors going around. We're going to be in a, we're going to be in a pretty good situation, I think, because, you know, we don't have several different organizations that we've got to try and pull together. It's just us and the Rockets are the only two on AT&T Sportsnet. And I know that the way that uh, things are starting to shake out a little bit, it looks like it would be beneficial, not short-term, but long-term for, for the Astros to buy the, the network yeah. and run it themselves. It's just, you know, what do you it, the logistical nightmare of trying to transfer all that over. But the, the content, how do you fill that much content? Because maybe their idea is to fill 24-7 Rockets, Astros. I don't know what that is. But at the same time, the one thing I think that makes it appealing is that uh, carriage rights, in uh, for that network or whoever carries Astros Rockets is good through 2035 and that's why I say long term you might be able to sign that contract kind of find find your way in the next two or three years and then really start to create content because you know your coverage is going to be out there for the next nine years well it's one of the reasons why we've told everybody why streaming and A's cast and we're starting yeah we're already starting to see with the streaming and the San Diego Padres they have a much bigger Mm -hmm. audience than they've ever had so it's like this is as much as we love our cable friends at NBC, and I like working over at NBC, but, I mean, this really is the future of how you're going to watch. It, it's funny you say that because of A's cast. I don't know how many other teams are doing it around the league, if any. But when I go to other places and they know I've been on this, they ask me all about it. I mean, obviously, I know a little bit, but I know that what you guys are doing is being watched, maybe as, a, maybe as an example of what could possibly be. Did you ever think on the road people would ask you about A's cast? I, I mean, about you, no. About the A's, maybe. A's I'm just cast, kidding, dude. Uh, A's, A's cast. cast. Yeah, but I mean, that's. But isn't that how it works? Isn't that yeah. how it functions? Is trying to get ahead of that curve a little bit. And you're in a tough situation here. You've got a team in flux. How do you create content? And how do you create energy around a team to get eyes on you? 
put up an iPad, put up a, a webcam and see what you can do because you're putting together great content. You're able to go out and get great guests. I know that you're getting uh, Eno Saris later on. You're getting Mark Kotze. I mean, there's yeah. some people that you actually want to tune in and listen to. Eno's one of those guys. If you're watching baseball, you need to be reading what he's writing. Mm-hmm. You need to be talking to him because he does a very good job of trying to break down baseball and give a little more information than maybe you or I could give. Yeah, uh, we don't go into it all the time, but our downloads are so significant, it blows attendance away. That's so outstanding. It's like, it's like, <laughs> but you've got to provide that. we thank all of you. We well, thank all of you. It's kind of similar to that model down in Tampa Bay. You know, they don't draw at their ballpark. Nobody's going down to the trop to watch a game. It's terrible. But what do they do? They watch their television broadcasts, and their their broadcast numbers, their ratings are off the charts. Yeah, their TV ratings are Because they do like, like here. Everybody loves the A's. But maybe they don't want to come to this ballpark. But so that's why they're tuning into you guys to get more info and really stay in touch. When you think about your run with Chicago winning the World Series, mm-hmm. adding sometimes adding doesn't always help, yeah. right? Sometimes it can mess with the whatever you got, whatever. Because baseball people don't want to talk about chemistry, but whatever that's it is, noise. I've heard the technical term is noise. Whatever you got in the <laughs> clubhouse that's working, but just. Take us through, like, these are the dog days, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking at the map. We're looking at the weather every day. We got weathermen going, oh, my God, it's so hot. Like, it's <laughs> it's hot. You're yeah. playing in Chicago. It's humid. It's like, like, these are the dog days of summer right here. Just talk about this stretch and what adding means to a club like the White Sox back in the day when you guys were going for the World Series. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And you talk about the dog days, and that's part of the reason I went to Chicago is because I had experience playing against Ozzie Guillen, uh, he was my third base coach in Montreal, which a lot of people didn't know when Jeff Torborg took over for uh, Felipe Alou. That's going back. That's going way back. That's 2000, 2001. Mon- and Montreal, best city ever to play in? If that got back in the rotation, I would not be upset. Yeah, everybody at all. goes, forget yeah. Vegas. <laughs> I was going to, well, yeah. yeah you, <laughs> Montreal that's the was French the- version of Vegas, <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. A little European vacation, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I had experience with Ozzy Guillen, and they had Joe Creedy, whose back was ailing him a little bit. They had uh, Paul Konerka was maybe a little bit older, and his back was ailing. So that's what you're talking about. You get into the middle of August, things start to heat up. You're exhausted. You're pushing for a pennant, and you need guys that are going to come in there and be able to provide relief and really not, you know, it, just kind of be a Band-Aid on the situation, not be like a sharp drop-off where you've got to bring up a guy from A-ball, double-A, and put him at first base to protect Paul Konerko. You can go around the league and pluck some of these parts. You know what, Jace Peterson or some of these guys, you know, Aledmus Diaz for, for years with us was that guy that we were able to plug in at second base, shortstop, in relief of Altuve and Correa, Bregman, and just give him a couple days of a breather to get them to a uh, chance to reboot a little bit and get their legs back under them. And that's kind of the situation I found myself in in Chicago. But it's up to the organizations, too. They've got to realize, do you want to make that big splash? Are you going to be willing to just make a minor trade to go out there and kind of give yourself some depth? And fortunately, that's what the White Sox did. And I had the experience with Ozzie Guillen. And uh, probably one of the best compliments I ever got paid in my entire career was from Ozzie Guillen when he said, I, there, <laughs> there's a DVD that, that uh, doesn't bleep it out. But uh, he said, you know, nobody get, nobody got excited when we traded for Blum, but we knew we were bringing a guy into our clubhouse that wasn't going to mess it up. And that was a big thing for them, and that goes to what you're talking about. The analytics can pump out all kinds of numbers, but the second you start talking about chemistry, you know, how's Townie going to get along with uh, Cody and all this kind of stuff, 
all of a sudden that becomes noise because you can't input it into a computer, but that's why you have guys like Ozzie Guillen, Mark Kotze, and some of these other guys around here that really say, you know what, he's a good dude, he's not going to mess up my clubhouse, and he's going to help us win. So are you telling me when you showed up in Chicago, you didn't throw your bags in the <laughs> middle of the room and go, the magnitude yes. of me? Yeah. You didn't go Reggie Jackson? No, gosh, no. No, I can't do that. No, that, that's not my personality. <laughs> I did not want that attention. The straw that yeah. stirs the drink, Jeez. baby. Well, how about South side style. I go, for, I go from a San Diego Padre media market where everything's, you know, sunshine and shorts. It's the San Diego yeah. Union Tribune. Yay, here yeah. we come. Jeff, you had a great game. You went one for four. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so I get to Chicago and I get traded. And I actually met the team in Baltimore, so there wasn't much media there. But when I got to Chicago – there were 50 guys around my locker when I showed up, and I'm going, what are you – yeah, I'm here. Great. You know what? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it was a good time. Let's end on this because Fred McGriff – it's funny. Fred McGriff couldn't even sniff the writer's ballot. And Why? now all of a sudden he's a Hall of Famer, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course, he should have been. Right. And all these numbers are coming up where you're comparing him against Bonds before Bonds was on the juice, mm -hmm. and he was either equal or better. And now everybody's like, yeah, of course Fred should be in. It makes me think of Paul Konerko. Dude, yes, right? absolutely. Paul Konerko. Look those numbers up. A clean, because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at A-Rod, Manny, some of these guys. Yep. Take the clean guys because we're have now, the conversation. We're having appreciation for McGriff as a clean guy. Yep. You played with old Paulie. PK. Don't you think that's a good one to bring up? Like, let's look at Paul Konerko through the lens of a non-PED guy. I actually, I, man, I heard a number, and it was Paul Konerko. I mean, his, his overall career numbers garner the thought that he could get into the Hall of Fame. But I think it's, I want to say it's 13 years of averaging 30-plus home runs and 90-plus RBIs. Think about it. 13 years. Yeah. That's insane. And Not I mean, just, seven years. They want that no, seven years. Exactly. 13 years. Yeah. What, who's that? Jay Jaffe window right there. That's seven him on years. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but he, he's done a great job. I, yeah. I think that, you know, some of those numbers are fun, but then you start to really, and if you, that's looking at the traditional numbers. You're not even digging into OPSs or WRC pluses, but that guy was an absolute beast. And he, if it wasn't for Jermaine Dye, Paul Konerko would have been the World Series MVP. He had some big swings. Yeah, I, it's, yeah it's, I like it. I, I, and I, li I think maybe McGriff is going to help us get over the PED era a little bit. Now I we can really so. start looking yeah. at it. Because you played against Scott Rowland. Oh, I played against, against Scott Rowland. I was a teammate of Fred McGriff his last year with Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, I got to play with PK and be around these guys. And I would love to see some of these contemporaries start to get in there. And I think, I don't know how you feel about it, but I do feel like with the game changing as much as it is, you know, the closer role, the amount of innings that starters are pitching, you know, the, the idea of what do wins mean anymore, I think that the evaluation of getting into the Hall of Fame is changing considerably. And when you start to look at it that way, the Scott Rollins get in, the Fred McGriffs get in easy. Uh, you know, I don't know what took Larry Walker so damn long to get in there. Todd Helton. Todd and don't give me this Colorado stuff, man. That dude could flat hit. And I, he, you look at what they did, and they dominated at times. And who was the biggest threat in a lot of those lineups? Those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Do wins even matter anymore? Like any I don't kind know. of win? I, do you even want to win now? Yeah, I mean, I, what I, do we, I, why do we even play? I, right? But that's the problem is that, you know, I was talking to Justin Verlander, and he, he said he, he enjoys the win. He means that I pitched well enough to win. I want the win. 
and that's kind of how you, your street cred, more or less, is going out there and you know getting W's. He knows he has to rely on bullpens to go out there and get those W's, but if he leaves the game with the W and he has a chance for the win, he wants that W, and I can't blame those guys for getting it. It's just more numbers. And we always want to remind everybody, yes, he's a Houston Astro <laughs> broadcaster, but he is a Cal Bear legend. Cal Bears took oh, the man. Cal Bears. I can see the Campanile from right back here in the treehouse. Are you Took him me? to the College World Series. Are you in the Cal Hall of Fame? No. Is there a Cal Baseball Hall of Fame? Uh, no, but you know what? Uh, you know what? It's funny you ask that because I think it was two years ago. I got a call from Cheese. You know John Hughes? Uh, he, no. was, he used to be a pitching coach at Cal. Now he was a scout with the Montreal Expos. He actually drafted me uh, in 1994, but he still works with the Alumni Association over there with Mike New and trying to recognize some of the guys that played there. And I don't know if you remember, but that the, the rec center, the RSF out there in left field has that big, huge wall behind the left field wall. Oh, yeah, at you Cal. can mountain climb yeah, off of it. We yeah. Would, yeah, we would take batting practice yeah. and just start aiming for them. They didn't like that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was good for your power numbers. Uh, <laughs> but they had uh, they had huge murals, murals and tarps out there of guys in the past, and they kind of tore it down, and they're going to restart the whole situation. And I got a phone call from John Hughes and the alumni com- uh, baseball alumni committee out there, and they said that they wanted to add me to it. And uh, I, I – amazingly and humbly said I would love to be a part of that because you know they already had our names out there for you know donations or you know uh, Cal big leaguers in the past and stuff like that but now to be on a wall with you know the Connor Jacksons the Xavier Nadies uh, Ryan Drees uh, you know Marcus Simeon I think is up there too and some of these more current guys but can up there yeah can is up there you know so all of a sudden you were like damn you know what I enjoyed my time here and now they enjoyed me being there that meant so much to me you know it's it's a blast and uh, I've got a picture somewhere buried on my phone of that wall and when my kids give me a hard time I'm like hey look are you on your college wall I am (laughs) and I take a lot of pride in that do you hold up your other phone and go here's a statue of me at uh, Comiskey that's always that's that's in the final chamber if I really need to get at somebody (laughs) (laughs) I have a statue of me at a big league ballpark yeah the but, magnitude of me. But the only reason that that statue of me hitting left-handed is because of Bob Milano at Cal. That's the he only reason. He switched you around? He told me as an 18-year-old, he goes, you're going to learn how to hit left-handed. I said he was, I almost said, bat, I almost said something really awful. Now we're streaming. Don't okay, okay. Well, I almost said he was batshit crazy because I had only hit right-handed up until I was 18 years old. And he goes, I think you can do it. And I, I was like, you're crazy, but I'll try it. Man, 2005, I get up there left-handed, and I have a 14-year career because I can switch hit. Bob Milano, right, right up the street at Cal. He's the only, only guy that really believed in me and taught me to believe in myself. Well, when they asked us, because last year we had over 1.7 million downloads. Damn. I said this is one of the reasons why. <laughs> we bring the Cal Bear guy on, and Cal, Cal brings people to the yard. Bring it. Yeah, absolutely. There's some diehards out here. This is, this is, this is where it all happened. Well, yeah. I know Northern California means a lot to you. That's it does. why it's always special. And I can tell you, over the years when we had a text line, whenever we'd have you on the pregame show, <laughs> there were people you went to college with yep. that would go, "That's my boy." We would get that all the time. Yep, yep. There was a lot of a lot of those Cal alum come out of the woodwork when I start showing up. It's, I love it. We don't like the Astros, but we love him. He's the man. I get it. I do. Get yes. It. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go away at some point. <laughs> you hope, right? Yeah, yeah. You hope. Great stuff. Yeah, Congratulations you, on everything. No, appreciate you. And we will talk to you later in the uh, season. I absolutely look. I 100% look forward to it. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.